Welcome to the Project Zion podcast. This podcast explores the unique spiritual and theological gifts Community of Christ offers for today's world. Hello, and welcome to the Project Zion podcast. I'm your host, Carla Long, and I am so excited about our guest today. Her name is Catherine Goheen. And she was on another podcast with me and a panel of people, and I was just so taken by what she had to say. I knew that I had to get her back on the podcast again. So I'm so excited. Welcome back, Kat. Thank you so much, Carla. And I'm excited to be here too. It was a wonderful panel we had, and this is such a great podcast in general. So I'm very honored to be here. Oh, gosh. That just fills me with joy. So Kat, tell us about yourself. Well, um... I'm from Independence, Missouri, and grew up in the RLDS church, and uh, yeah, then got ordained in high school with some of the first batches of women getting ordained, and went to Graceland University, then uh, ended up in Canada, met this great Canadian, and I've been in Canada for the rest of my professional life, and ministry, and just life. I've got two girls who are fantastic. Um, I sang professionally for, say, a dozen years and then went to seminary for a couple of degrees in biblical studies. And at this point in my life, it's all coming together. It's, um, I'm in training to be a spiritual director. I've gone through the Community of Christ Spiritual Formation and Companionship Program as well. So really spent some time over the past four years um, focusing on deep listening. Of course, today is talking more than listening. I won't put you on the spot, Carla. I promise not to deep listen to you too much. Is that okay? Um, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a bit of a flip for today, but I just, uh, there's been so much wisdom in all this that, uh, that I'm excited about and that I'm living with. So I'm really just sharing with, uh, with you, Carla, and with all of you out there, um, my passion around this uh, series of questions that uh, we've come up with for today. And I, I'm just so excited to talk about this because um, listeners, when I asked Kat what she wanted to do a podcast on, because as you hear, she has a lot of enthusiasm and a lot of academic study, and she knows what she's talking about. And um, so I asked her what she wanted to do a podcast on, and I was like, and after she got back to me, I had literally no idea what she was talking about. And I blame that fact on the fact that I was a math major because... <laughs> While I went through seminary and I have a master's in Christian ministries, this is beyond me. So that's why I'm super excited. She, she said that she wanted to do a podcast on changing by heart. It's a, it's an, the phenomenal art of oral transmission and storytelling and transformation. And I don't know about you listeners, if you already know exactly what she's talking about, but I didn't. So that's why I really want to find out. So Kat, if you could just like tell us maybe even just an overview of what you meant by changing by heart. Absolutely. I'd love to. Um, and to me, changing by heart is, is simply adapting and riffing on that idea of learning by heart. Um, you know, a really old fashioned idea, uh, it seems in our culture today. And I, I, I mean, like everything that I'm, that I'm bringing today kind of comes from a very simple place in my heart, because I have no desire to impress myself, no desire to impress any of you, Um, just a very simple desire uh, to pull together some threads around change. Um, Why is it so difficult to change? How do we change? And uh, how can really listening to each other, really listening to ourselves, and, and speaking our truth, 
how can that get us to a place where we are able to change and to make change in the world? So that's it. Oh gosh, that, that sounds pretty phenomenal. So let's, let's just jump into that. So how, like, I guess, how is deep listening or listening to each other, how can that change who we are as people? Whoa, the biggest piece to deep listening, um, and it's way harder than I thought it was, but the biggest piece to deep listening is to get out of the way. So I think it's almost getting to the finish line before you even begin. I've found deep listening to be very healing when I've experienced it. Um, When I sit down with someone who's very interested in who I am and is interested in my well-being and is genuinely interested in what I have to say, I know it. I just know it. There's a, there's a, a mysterious quality about someone who is so receptive to me as a person that I just respond to that, and it's very easy to open up. And that has led to incredible healing and you know, crazy stuff like all of a sudden seeing an old pattern and then really putting light on it, like having a conversation about it, and then walking away feeling lighter, feeling more free from that burden. So, I mean, that, that's into the realm of the mystical or the mysterious. Like, that's, that's amazing stuff. That's, you know, it doesn't happen all the time. Um, but yeah, the thing about deep listening is being out of the way, clearing and understanding myself enough to just kind of sit back and make lots of room and be hospitable for the other person. I imagine it's a lot like hosting a podcast. Because if you're full of your own thoughts and questions, it's hard for you to be responsive to the conversation as it's happening. I think you give us, I think you give us way too much credit (laughs) because what you just described is, you know, it just felt me with, filled me with so much warmth, you know, because I've, I've gone back to those conversations of when you feel like you have a heart connection with someone and the way you walk away from that conversation is so different than the way you started it. And, and is that kind of what you're talking about, you think? Absolutely. And it's, it's not even necessarily with someone listening, listening to me. I mean, I've read accounts of people who've been in the room with the Dalai Lama and they just have felt, you know, he sees me like I'm his friend, like just feels open. And a personal friend of mine that met one of her teachers that she'd read several of his books and without sharing a word with him, you know, it was, it was a life changing experience for her. So it's just a quality of being and the more true and genuine that you are um, in yourself, the less you're trying to convince people of things, you know, the more true and genuine that you are, um, the more I believe the Holy Spirit can just, can just connect you and just heal you through that presence. So yeah. Is there more you have to say about that original question about deep listening? Because I kind of got into the, the emptying yourself part, which, which, is, which is a big part of it. Go ahead. Well, yeah, I, I do actually have questions about deep listening. Um, I'm, I'm assuming that it takes a lot of hard work of the soul in order to get to a place where you can listen to someone deeply. Uh, what, what, can, what do you do or how do you get to that point? Definitely. Um, I think I would call it effortless effort because at this point, like I'm in training to be a spiritual director, I've started spiritual directing, like actually doing it um, outside of the, you know, the practice room. And it's, it's actually uh, effortless because 
I can see that the Holy Spirit is this person's spiritual director, and it's really my job to be out of the way and listen for currents of spirit. So, hmm, most of the work that I've had to do, other than living my entire life and bringing all that experience to bear, but the actual work, the actual attention that I have to do is to be aware um, when I'm listening, anytime something that you say triggers an emotion or a reaction in myself. So just awareness, just awareness, like, like flags going up to be like, oh, wow, you're talking about something that happened in your childhood, which is reminding me of something from university. But see, the minute I get that emotion, then my attention goes into my history or my discomfort or my reaction. So a lot of it is simply being aware of that and then sort of judging it and saying, is this about me or is this about the person? Like, is this, a, is this something that, that needs more attention? And then being able to let it go. So meditation, it's huge for that because that's where all these things bubble up. That's where, that's why it's tough. That's why our brains are so busy. But to get past those hurdles, to get into the quiet space, to really like a quiet space, to find solitude restful. Oh, Rachel Hill Barton, she said that. And I took that, I just got back from a five-day silent retreat. And um, I took her quote on silence. Until solitude is a place of rest and not of hard work and human striving. I learned that by heart before I went into five days of silence because I'm just so convinced that knowing it in my heart, knowing it by heart um, changes me. So, yeah. Yeah, I kind of want to jump into that as well. Um, what do you mean when you say learning by heart or knowing in your heart? Oh, I think, well, we call it that. We call it learning by heart, knowing it by heart. But really, we're talking about repeating it enough times that we can recall it in our brain at will. I mean, I think that's actually what we're talking about. But, um, but I think the name is accurate. Um, when I'm thinking back to the 80s and being on road trips with my family, we didn't fly anywhere together. So we were sort of forced into a car and we drive as far as we could without, you know, harming each other. So, you know, that was something, it was something. But one thing that we, we did, especially when, the, when we drive a long day, is my dad would be driving and he'd say, okay, we're going to memorize Psalms. And so that's what we do, my brother and I in the back seat, and we're going to memorize Psalms. So Psalm 100, and he would just say it from memory and we'd have to line it back to him. And we would do it until, you know, we couldn't stop doing it and we wouldn't stop memorizing it until we had it memorized. So if it took 200 miles or 300 miles, we weren't off the hook until we had it learned by heart. Um, and at the time, of course, you can guess that this might have felt a little bit like being trapped or a little bit like uh, punishment. However, it's such a great gift. I can say at this point, you know, decades later, that uh, these words are still written on my heart. We did Psalm 139. That's a long psalm. Lord, you have searched me and known me. Now, of course, I do have like the inspired version, King James version words. So I have to go back to the NRSV when I'm preaching on it because um, I, do, I do prefer that translation. But, uh, but to spend so much time with it, not only do I have the gift of retrieval um, that, that I have it to cling to in immediate moments of distress. I don't have to stop and I don't have to look something up. It's just right there. Um, but I also have connection with, with all, all of the people who have made this a priority, who have written this on their hearts, that there's a, a sense of connection across time um, and across locations. Um, 
and and that it's it's almost like learning hymns that you can recognize people by the hymns that they know or that they might hum it's that sort of thing that uh, it goes beyond yeah it goes beyond my mind it gets into my body it's into my heart it's into my gut and i just have that as part of me sort of changes me so learning by heart there's that now there's something else i find at this point in my life it gets harder and harder to memorize either because I learn faster than I did as a kid. Well, maybe not, or just too distracted or too much coffee. I don't know what it is. Actually, I'm off caffeine now. I shouldn't say too much coffee. That's an old excuse. There's something about it where it's just hard to to do that. And I'm in a a fiddle group with high school kids. So (laughs) we memorize everything. We memorize everything. And we play very difficult music. And the hardest part isn't always learning the notes or playing them fast enough, but remembering the roadmap. We're going to do an A and a B and an A and a B and a C back to A and then a B. And so every letter designates, you know, eight or 16 bars of music. And so it's remembering we're doing a double chorus, then back to the verse, then two choruses, then an extra piece, and then back to the verse. And that's tricky that's tricky. So once again, this is learning by heart that I force myself to do either that or I get lost and it's highly embarrassing. And, uh, and I find that mm, there's a gift that comes from a total freedom of having to look at anything, of being able to look up and out and around, having the music in my fingers, having the music in my mind, you know, being able to remember the roadmap, to bookmark anything that's tricky, <laughs> to just say, I'm going to focus at the end of this section here and make sure that I get it, get it all right. Um, I'm being able to rely on the people around me to look at them and to respond to them in the moment. Oof, it's, um, it's, it's very powerful. And it's different than playing in an orchestra with everyone looking down at their stand and glancing up at the conductor. Um, you're kind of in more of your own world, even though you're still participating you're still a group when you get it by heart um, you've got freedom to react and to um, yeah to move in different ways yeah I mean I I don't know if this is exactly what you're talking about please correct me if I'm wrong but it kind of feels like you know like there are things that I want to know basically like what's the population of Wyoming right so I, <laughs> I google it I look it up and I now now I know the population of Wyoming and then it's gone and like two seconds after I look it up. And that's, I feel like we might have be losing or have lost or maybe not completely lost the ability to do exactly what you're saying. We'd want to take in so much information that there's, there's no way we can hold on to it all. And so we, it's kind of the opposite of what you're talking about. It sounds like to me. And you're right that, that there's, there is, we have so much beautiful information that's available to us. I mean, especially those of us that grew up without the internet and having to dig for facts, but suddenly it's all at our fingers. It's so beautiful, but it goes by at the speed of our mind and none of it just doesn't get into our hearts. Like it's, it's gone. And I think about, you know, have you had the paralysis where your cell phone crashes and you don't have anyone's cell phone numbers and then to realize I've had this happen before. I only have three cell numbers memorized outside of my family. Like, you know, I have to go begging for all this information. Like, do I even have it written down? Like, it's just, it's just all, it's just all um, outside, outside of me. It's all external. And that's one of my questions. I wonder, what do we lose by not holding more of more important things close to heart? Like if I'm at an outside computer terminal and I want to email someone, how many, you know, do I have my mother's email memorized? 
yeah, mom, I'm pretty sure I do. However, usually I just auto, you know, I just call it up, you know, passwords. Do I know all my passwords? Well, they just sort of come up um, and we rely on that. And it's wonderful to have that help. It is so different than life in the 80s and 70s. And it's probably better in a lot of ways and, and easier. But um, it's just so easy to give over um, important things and, and, to not, and to not have them available to us like on our own. Well, I, I actually completely agree. There's, um, so when I was in at Graceland, uh, I took Barb Mesley Shakespeare class and she forced us to memorize some, uh, either a sonnet or some part of a play. And I was a little annoyed by it because I'm like, I can always find it. Why do I need to memorize anything? But, <laughs> but then I was in England and we happened to be at Shakespeare's birthplace. And all of a sudden those words from his sonnet bubbled up within me. And I stood in front of his house and I recited his, this entire sonnet and people were like there and like clapping. And I was like, well, that was really cool. <laughs> I, I, I had a bit of a moment there. So I, I kind of understand. I, I feel like um, what we're saying right now is that, you know, with the internet and with, all of this stuff we have at our fingertips, we have like, oh, it's a really wide, but shallow knowledge. And what you're talking about is maybe a, a smaller, but much deeper knowledge. Mm-hmm. And, and, mm-hmm. and maybe that's what God is calling us to, or maybe that's what you're calling us to, or if anybody's calling us to. <laughs> there is, oh, and you're reminding me of this word connection, this word connection that also Every time I hear it, it makes my heart warm. Um, and, and I think it's what we're searching for. We're searching for belonging. We're searching for connection. And when I say we, I sort of mean this North American fast-paced um, life that we live. And I won't say it's only North American, but I won't uh, necessarily out other, other um, places and cultures as, as having this, this thing happening. I won't call it a disease, but there's a sense of rootlessness or there's a sense of um, transience that we get. Um, and I, I spent some time thinking about Hebrew Bible uh, before our, our visit this morning. I spent some time thinking about it. I was like, okay, because this is the big question that kept coming up in seminary, and it's hard to answer it, which means it's a good question. It's a question you can stick with for a while. You could live with this question for a few decades. But it's like, it's like how, how do you really get a sense or get a handle of the differences between um, my life, my reactions, or my culture's um, movements, and the lives and reactions of biblical people's? And of course, people's plural, because it's over thousands of years, um, you know, Iron Age, Bronze Age. I mean, you go through uh, technological changes, you go through shifts in family systems, but, but like, how, how do I connect? Like, as a minister, as a person, a person of spirit, um, how, how do I connect with uh, biblical personages or how, or with groups of people or with people who aren't? whose stories aren't mentioned, people who are sort of under the radar of scripture, um, whether it's women or foreigners or, um, you know, fill in the blanks. Yeah, people, who's, people who, who didn't win the right to tell their stories um, as it comes through. Because the Bible is so important, because scripture is so important, um, not, not to everyone and not all the time, but um, the experiences that are in the Bible. So what's, what are the connections that, that bring us together? So they're back to that word connection. And I, it seems to me I have to be aware of all the difference 
before I can sort of dig through and get to the similarities because I'm hungry for there to be similarities. I don't want to say, oh, it was so foreign. That situation could never happen today. There is nothing there that applies to my life or my time and my culture. Go ahead. Oh, no, I, I think that's really important. I, I was reminded of, you know, the, the spiritual practice dwelling in the word, you mm. know, when you, when you take a uh, passage and you read it two or three times and you ask questions in the middle. And I, I remember hearing about a church, not a, not a community Christ church, a different church that was doing this dwelling in the word. And they used one scripture, one passage of scripture, and they were doing a dwelling in the word on it for six months and the same, the same passage. And then after six months, they're like, okay, well maybe we can move on. And this, this older woman raised her hand and she said, you know, I feel like I'm just starting to get it mm. <laughs> um, after six months of the same scripture. And for me who moves pretty fast, I'm like, that's ridiculous. But I, I, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not though, is it? Um, if, if we talk, if we look at the, that word connection and, and what that woman was understanding doing a group spiritual practice, maybe she's understanding the connection with the other people. Maybe she's understanding that scripture. Maybe it was all coming together because she had that. And I, I mean, that's, that's a pretty big story for me right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Think about. Mm-hmm. And that, and it sounds like she was rooting into the scripture and you're right. She was rooting into it in community, which is so beautiful too, because you're not alone. She's not on her own. And she's like, Hey guys, I don't want to slow you down, but you know, <laughs> would you hang in here with me? You know, like, like, let's, let's stick together and stick with this. Oh, and that's, that's the thing that I think is hardest for me to get with the biblical people to really sort of uh, put my imagination, my heart um, to try to get there. I mean, there are a lot of difficult things, but for me, it's that idea of the connection to the land and the connection to uh, like the patrimony, the land that's handed down through the family. And the idea that God gave this land, not just any random piece of land. It's not like me saying uh, like temple lot. It's not me saying something outside of myself, but the land that my house is on and the land that my 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 father's house is on because his house is joined to mine with this wall and not the house that my children live in because that's joined to mine with this wall that this land was given to us by Yahweh like this land is that we're living on that we're standing on um, is our heritage our spiritual heritage our physical heritage that um, you know until things got kind of sketchy in the Hebrew Bible until we got it sort of into kings and you know, monetization until things started really shifting in the society. It's like, it wasn't for sale. Like your, your relatives would bail you out. Like it's, it's like this land is connected to you. So, I mean, I, I just can't get my imagination around the idea of being so rooted um, in a place that's also rooted into like my heart, like my relationship with God is connected with this land. And I have to think that so many decisions around um, around the environment, around how these resources have to come back to that, would, would come back to that. I can't imagine you could just sell out the land uh, physically, um, knowing that it's your spiritual connection to God. Oh, that's so interesting, Kat. That, uh, you're taking me into a lot of different places, <laughs> which I appreciate you doing. So we, at the very beginning of this podcast, we talked about, you wanted to talk about the phenomenal art of oral transmission and storytelling and transformation. 
And I feel like we've touched on a little bit of storytelling and transformation, but do you want to, do you want to talk a little bit more about what you mean by that? Absolutely. Oh, now I'm growing right now. I know you can't really see that, but I'm growing right now. And when you're in, whether you're a kid or a grown up, when you're in a growth spurt, you sort of take in a lot of nutrients, like you sort of behave differently. Um, so for me, when I'm in a growth spurt, I'm suddenly reading six books at a time. And I just sort of, um, I follow the spirit. I'm looking for synchronicity. How does this book connect to this book? And just uh, normally I'm a one book kind of girl. I'm going to start something and then just finish it. But right now it's a growth spurt. One of the books, the problem with it is sorting out what did I read where, because they all just sort of turn into one epic thing. Um, but what Oh, what I read recently um, in a book called Blue Mind, which I really have to highly recommend. What? It, oh, by Wallace J. Nichols. Sorry, I want to make sure I get in there. Wallace J. Nichols. Um, he said, what's really interesting when you study the mind, so when you get into neuroscience, is that when somebody is, when anybody is confronted but with an idea that challenges a cherished belief that the areas in the brain that lights up for them is not the intellectual center, but it's the emotional center. And I read that and I stopped and I went back and read it again. And it was like, ah, ah, it's like, oh my goodness. That makes so much sense. So, so Carla, if you were to tell me, you know, some specific thing about something I'd said already that was wrong, that my reaction to you would be emotional. It wouldn't be intellectual. I wouldn't say, oh, good point, Carla. Thank you so much for telling me that. That's probably not I mean, unless I was at my best, that's probably not how I would react to you. It'd be like more defensive, perhaps, or justifying myself, or changing the topic, or attacking you for coming at me with my cherished belief, um, or not even cherished belief, but just an idea that I believe is true. Um, just anything that gets close to that heart of belief. And when I read that, I thought, okay, so that kind of explains a lot of um, a lot of the rhetoric that we're hearing. Um, when I say we're hearing, I mean, sort of like news reports, and not just politics, but you know, anything around the environment or around science, um, yeah, women's rights, I mean, just so many areas, immigration, that it gets emotional really fast, and it gets emotional, and it gets hot, and the rhetoric gets really high, and it's, it's not very reasoned or... Um, yeah, there's not a lot of room for listening. There's a lot of room for talking and talking loudly. So coming back to this blue mind idea, then that, so, so I followed it out because he's passionate about oceans and, and water and being close to oceans and water and what that does for our mind, how, how amazing it is. And it's like, cool, that's good. So he says, if we have these emotional reactions, then the way to get at transformation and change is to approach the emotions. So not to approach with a rational, logical argument, you know, well thought out proof, um, but to approach with storytelling. And that's sort of his, that's his prescription for, um, for finding transformation. So do you want to jump in there? Because I've got examples. Oh, I want to hear the examples. This is awesome stuff. Keep going, please. <laughs> okay, okay. So, so I tried, I mean, I loved his examples, but they're his examples and you can read them. And we're doing a podcast today. This is talking and listening. You get to hear me in real time. Like you could skip ahead, like go ahead, but you're going to miss stuff and you'll have to eventually go back and listen to it if you want to make any sense out of what's going on today. Um, so anyway, three, so I came up with three stories. 
Um, the first one is sitting down with my friend Wasan in her living room and watching the Hajj. So this is last year. And, uh, you know, here she's immigrated to Canada and we're friends. And I'm seeing all of these people, you know, dressed in white and, and circling in Mecca and just circling, walking, just thousands of people, thousands of people. And you can hear the, the prayers. You can hear the gaps in the prayer. You can hear random noises. And she's telling me, she's telling me about the Hajj. She's telling me um, all the rituals that go on around it. And obviously she's homesick. Obviously um, it's a, it's, it's a tough, it's a tough time to be in Canada and uh, not to be closer to home. But um, I'm sitting here and I'm hearing her, her emotion around, uh, around this very holy festival. And, uh, and I'm caught up into it. Now, it doesn't make me Muslim. No, not by any means. And it doesn't give me special insight. Um, it doesn't tell me everything there is to know about Wasan. No, no. But it opens my heart to see the beauty, the, just the rich beauty of her religion, and to put that and hold it next to my appreciation for my own religion and my own spirituality and, uh, and God's movement. Like I see God's movement in what's happening with her um, and in her passion around her tradition. And in a way that I really couldn't get from, from just being told to be open to others and open to other traditions. Yeah, that's something that reaches right in and, and shows me and shows me um, how, how my tradition is valuable, no less valuable, but how I can also um, honor her and honor her tradition. Yeah. So oh, that's, that's a beautiful story. I loved hearing that. Thank you. And you're so, I mean, hearing about how someone else feels about something changes the way you feel as well. I, I, I'm, I, I'm into this. Okay. Two more examples. I'm ready. Two more examples. Super good. So this is uh, something I'm doing through my spiritual direction program, but um, I've been going into, we'll say the toughest spot in Vancouver. So for us, it's the downtown East side and every, you know, Every city has an area like this. Um, for Vancouver, it's been this way for like 200 years because it's always where the people, the men who had come to Vancouver, they'd go out and do resources. They'd do timber or mining or fishing or whatever. They'd all come into Vancouver, spend their money, and where they would go for bars or to find women was this area. So it's, it's never been like a nice residential area. It's always sort of been a um, kind of rough, free-for-all um, sort of thing, and yeah, and the last, and it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's kind of a, a place where you go. It's like Skid Row. It's a place where you go when you don't have any other supports to fall back on and people there take care of each other after a fashion. But, you know, there's a lot of addiction issues, a lot of mental health issues. So we have this wonderful, there's this wonderful um, place called the Listening Post where um, we meditate twice a day and just have snacks out. And people can come in, whether they're business people who work in Vancouver downtown or, um, or whether they just need a place to go, a third space, a safe space to go. And they just come in and the volunteers just sit and listen. And we make tea and we serve everyone tea and we have snacks. And then, you know, two times we stop and meditate for 20 minutes. And so one of the guys came in and I'll call him Jay. And, uh, and he just sat down and, and you know, uh, he, he just 
he looked like he'd been living pretty rough. He brought in all his stuff with him um, off the street and he's sitting and, and one of the other, vol- I was new. So one of the other volunteers said, Hey, Jay, tell her your story. And I'm like, well, you don't have to tell me your story. It's okay. I'm not a voyeur. I don't need to know. But he was just happy to say, you know, I, I, I moved out to the suburbs. I come in when I come into the downtown um, East side, I get a meal and that's good. But when I come in, I see my old pushers and it's more tempting to, you know, get a fix and I'm, I'm trying to stay clean. And it's like, you know, just that much. And he stayed the whole time I was there, you know, all, you know, four hours. And, uh, you know, during that time we stop and we meditate together and there's something really beautiful about just sitting quietly, you know, even when we're visiting, but just sitting with people and having nothing else to do. There's zero multitasking. I, I'm not at home. I don't have to answer phone calls, do emails, get ahead of anything. I'm just there. I park it. I park myself at the door and I'm just available. Um, and to be in meditation with Jay, you know, and we're sitting across from each other, the candles and the bells and everything. We're sitting across from each other. And it just was so impressed on my heart that God didn't love me one speck more than God loved Jay. Just not that we were just, we're both sitting on the floor meditating and God was just so pleased, utterly pleased with both of us. And um, it was a ridiculous sense of well-being that came over me at just seeing myself human-sized, you know, creature-sized. Oh, it was it was just wonderful. So, and his his happiness to share his story with me, his happiness that I was there and we were just both there together. So, yeah, there you go. That's a that's a really good example too. I and you're reminding me of some times I've had in our house church in Utah County of people who have come in and they just have a story that is begging to be spilled out. Like they desperately need someone just to listen to them because they just don't have anyone who will listen. And when those stories need to just, just, they, it just, they come out no matter what. Um, And you can be there and you can be part of that. That is, that is such a gift that you're offering. And that is a real gift that you're offering those people, Kat. That's really awesome. Oh, and it's, and it's holy space. It's not just holy because we meditate there and because it's there intentionally, but anytime there's a sharing like that, it's, it's, I almost can't breathe sometimes. I just want to hold my breath because it's just so full of spirit. You know, it's just like, oh, I don't want to disturb anything. It's, it's, and I know you know what I'm talking about, but yes, it is. It, it, it was it was, it is amazing to be there. I love those sacred moments. Those are so incredibly important. I know it. We don't just live for them, but aren't they nice when they come along? Mm. Oh, they, they're what keeps me going in ministry. They, uh, those, those moments are pretty important and special. Wow. What a great story. You made me cry. You made me cry just, just a little bit. (laughs) I'm sorry. Well, I don't know if you like the next one or not. (laughs) All right. Hit me with it. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. And so the, this third, the, the third piece is, um, it's the environmental piece. And, and this one I've had such a hard time with because I'm convinced that we make changes. We don't change our behavior unless it hits us close to home, you know, unless it hits our hearts. That if it's just our minds like, oh, I know I'm not supposed to throw stuff away. And oh, I know I'm not supposed to drive my car too much. Um, you know, we can feel guilty and stuff, but I don't think we change. I don't think I change behavior Till it gets closer than that. So if you can picture this, and I got permission from my daughter, so it's okay to tell the story. 
<laughs> I get in trouble about that. You're going to have to watch that, Carla, as your kiddo gets older. You always have to ask permission. Um, but we're driving in the car, and my older one says to me, so she's sitting in the back seat. You know, we can't see each other. She says, Mom, okay, so what's, oh my gosh, I can't even say it. What's global warming really going to look like? Okay. And so, you know, I talked about, um, you know, temperatures rising and what it's going to look, you know, some possible effects of sea levels rising, what it means for um, places like where we live, where we're close to the ocean. Um, we've been having lots of wildfires in the summers, the last few summers. I'm like, that's, that's not going to get better. That'll get worse. And then issues of food sovereignty and water sovereignty, um, getting, getting, having access to water and, um, and, you know, how do we take care of the least among us when it's getting harder for everyone? You know, just compassion. And she's just sort of taking it in. And we, um, so we have this little chat. I'm like, I'm, I said, I'm not an expert. This is, this is what I know. This is what I've heard. Um, and at the end of this, we keep driving. And I realize, oh, my kiddo has just dialed back. She's just dialed back her expectations for what life's going to be like. You know how every generation wants their kids to have it better than they had it? And she's, she's doing the opposite. And it broke my heart. <laughs> well, it's, it's still breaking my heart. And I think that's the power of storytelling. When things become so real and so personal, and it's not necessarily statistics and numbers, and that's no offense against math, Carla, not at all. It's just that I feel that that's not, that's not how we reach each other, and that's not how we change. I agree. <laughs> and yes, that made me cry also. Yeah. That's hard stuff, Kat. Yeah. Yeah, it's hard stuff. And then, and then I have my younger one who, no, I don't have permission for this, sorry. Um, but, and she'll say things like, Mom, do we really have to drive to the store? Could we walk? I'm like, oh, no, we actually do have to drive. Well, well, Mom, I don't think we should drive. I think we should ride our bikes. I mean, they're, they're actually starting to judge every decision that we make. Do we have to have the air conditioning on? Could we just go with windows? You know, I mean, <laughs> they're getting so, so aware of like, things like power usage, um, extra packaging. And I, I mean, it's like having two external consciences that are with me, like that are around all the time. It's amazing. I don't think we all have the benefit or curse of that um, <laughs> to us, but I'll say that, that I'm living with it and I'm, I'm getting much, much more uh, mindful about um, all sorts of decisions, but it's like, but that's how we change. And I think about just on a general level, that um, prayer and testimony service, I woke up, I mean, it, I woke up, grew up, um, go, you know, anytime the church was open, our family was going, that was just the family rule. So we were there Wednesday nights, Sunday nights, Sundays, um, you know, kid stuff, whatever was going on. And the power of those testimonies, when someone talks about how they were healed by God, or how um, they heard a voice just at that dark moment, when they needed something, um, how, you know, someone was there for them, or how a hymn reached into their heart at just the right time and gave them what they needed. And I think about sermons, uh, whenever we talk about worship in our congregation, you know, it always comes up, people don't really like sermons per se, but they love the stories. They love it when someone's honest about, you know, something they did that wasn't quite awesome, 
or when people make make connections between a scripture and their own personal experience it's like i think i think we love this we in, we react to it we respond to it it's like why we go to theaters we go to movies so we can see we can see this connection to some either epic tragic story or beautiful story or a love story um that that's that's so close to us like with fairy tales why do we read our kids fairy tales you know some of them are terrible but uh but there's just such a deep wisdom that comes through them and uh and stories of transformation um that we can see and sometimes we catch the wave or we get touched we get touched deeply enough or closely enough that it really matters oh for sure like i i really appreciate um the quotes from blue mind is that uh, I think mm-hmm. that. yep um and bringing that to the forefront um because even though i think in my in my mind i knew that um what you were talking about how um we we react emotively it, it's it's really good to remember that because i have mm-hmm. some very very strong opinions about what i think is right and what i think is good about politics and church and all of that stuff and when somebody disagrees with me I feel it in my whole body. I'm like, go, why are they so stupid? You know, and you, you just almost can't stop it, but maybe you can stop it now that you remember, you know, I'm, I don't need to react to this in such an emotional way. I can, I can walk my way through this. Why, or, or was it responding to them, their emotions or my emotions? Both. Oh yeah. Because I mean, a strong emotion will tend to trigger a strong emotion or a strong reaction. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so, so it's being aware of it in myself, like my own reactions first, and then being aware this person is having such a strong emotional reaction. Oh my goodness. This is close to something major for her. This is close to something major. Like this is close to a nerve. This is really close. You know, oftentimes those emotions are connected to fear. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, this person is so afraid right now. Okay. How can I be here? How can I be present, not hide myself, not protect myself, not put up a bunch of armor? How can I be here and be non-threatening and try to help diffuse? How can I help her step away from that edge? Just, just, you know, and maybe, maybe people are very happy exercising themselves that way. But when you think about, you think about trauma, you think about how the body reacts to trauma how the body reacts to going up and down a hill of intense spikes of emotion every day. I mean, it's, it's so exhausting and it's just not good for us. And you're carrying all these extra cortisol and all these extra, you know, hormones in your body. I mean, ugh. I mean, it would be ever so much nicer. Hmm. Not to be Vulcan. I'm not saying we get rid of emotion, but we just see where it is and honor it when we have it and move through it and move on. And don't just get stuck in a loop, either trying to avoid it or deny it or just being in it all the time. And, and that is really, that takes a lot of energy to, to do that and to be in that space. I, and I actually think it takes, and you're, I, I'm assuming this is right. You can tell me if I'm wrong, but it takes a lot of a preparation work to get into that space. I, I know that when I'm meditating on a regular basis and when I am mindful on a regular basis, then I, my emotions are a little bit easier to control and handle. And when I'm not, ooh, oh boy, step out of my way. 
And it depends how often you're confronted, <laughs> how often you're confronted with, uh, with uh, adamant views that are very different than yours, because, you know, you can get worn down. You do get worn down. And, and the other thing is, see, there's a balance. I've been doing this, like I say, this, this inner journey, which is also an outer journey, but the inner journey really focused on that for like the past four or five years um, on top of forever. And there's, a, there's always the danger of navel gazing, of just, just being concerned with myself and trying to sort myself out. Now you have to go through it. You can't skip that part, but it can take over in an unhealthy self-help way. Um, so that's, that's the one piece of it. And the, and the other piece, let's see, getting stuck in yourself. Oh, this idea is so close and it's just frittering away. The other danger about this is that, um, that I feel, you know, after having a few successes, like actually being able to wave away a few thoughts uh, during meditation, I start to have the feeling I can do it myself, that what I'm describing to you, Carla, is simply be aware of your emotions, move through them, slip through them, and I could describe the whole thing with no context of, um, of God or God in my life or the Holy Spirit and sort of, you know, give grace back to God and say, don't worry, God, I got this one covered. I got myself. You know, I can, I can just be a self-actualized person and, you know, go on and, and into the world and be a force of good. And I believe in my experience that that is not true. I know it's not true for myself, um, that there's always, whether I see it or not, that I feel like I'm swimming in grace and swimming in the Holy Spirit um, and that God charges this whole world with grandeur, that God charges the world with magnificence. Um, and it's only if we have eyes to see uh, that, that life becomes different. Um, so I guess I would say, yes, absolutely. Meditation practice, totally, you know, centering prayer, all of these things um, help to smooth out our souls let our hearts relax a little bit, give us more space, helps us feel from our heads into our hearts, into our bodies, and just, you know, be creatures, like be whole creatures the way God made us, um, and not just be heads running around. Um, but that there's also this compassion that God gifts us with, especially if we ask for it and look for it. And that when I'm face to face with her, you know, my shadow side, the, the person who's triggering a bunch of stuff in myself, um, that this her, this other person, is so beloved by God, is so beloved by God, the same way Jay is, the same way you are, Carla, and you on the other end of the speaker. Um, and, and that if, if I can remember that, um, so much of this work is just remembering. <laughs> it's not making stuff up. It's just remembering. Oh, if I can remember that, um, then God's compassion is actually free to flow into me. You know, if I don't block it off, if I don't say, yes, God, compassion for everyone except her, you know, everyone except him. <laughs> everyone yeah. except for someone who believes in this way. <laughs> oh, I know. I know. It gets hard. So do you actually, that was, an, I think, a really good segue into my next question, and which is a question that we talked about before, actually. It's what, so what is the connection? And we may have already said it. What is the connection between love and transformation? Yeah. Now. Oh, here's a, here's a thing that's close to home. So um, part of the work that we've done in understanding ourselves in spiritual, um, in my program of spiritual direction is the Enneagram, which I, we can't get into. That's okay. But um, a basic 
understanding that I got right away is that I'm a heart person. Like that's where, that's my strength. That's where I come from. And yet I went into this program saying, I feel totally separate from my heart. So many times I feel like I should be feeling something and it's just cold and empty inside. I'm like, where's my heart? And I feel like I have to, uh, I felt I had to manufacture reactions or manufacture emotions just so that I came across as human and not like alien or something else. Um, so where does love come into it? And so it's been a sustained for me, my homework, <laughs> my self-imposed homework for all this time has been to find my heart. And it's been quite a journey. I felt like the Tin Man in the Wizard of Oz. You know, if I only had a heart, well, Tin Man always had a heart. Oh my goodness, you know, overflowing with, you know, compassion and stuff. But, um, but it's a matter of getting there. And, uh, and sometimes the parts of us that are the strongest are also the most blocked. They're the most remote from us. And when I, you know, came to understand that truism and actually believe it for myself, it sort of started this healing. And, uh, and I've sort of started this conversation with my heart that's actually been very fascinating and life-sustaining. And uh, yeah, we're getting to be friends and it uh, takes a bit of the pressure off the head, as it were, the heads, our heads that try to do too many things. Well, yeah, all the time. So what is love what is this connection? I believe when we tap into this, when we tap into our hearts with love, that all of a sudden, the things that, that hold us, um, the structures that hold us, whether it's, I don't know, I hate to put names on things, whether it's, you know, patriotism or sexism or racism or just any ideological constructs that hold us, they don't disappear, but I believe they lose their force. I believe they lose their force. And I believe that, that love, it's like the power of the ocean. It's like the saltiness of tears. There's something about love that breaks it down. Um, and there's something about love that puts us into our bodies and helps us be creatures and helps us see ourselves for who we are. And once again, not just disembodied heads floating around above, <laughs> floating around above the earth, but it helps us be real, like the velveteen rabbit. I mean, just all of these ideas that come together. And that's why I believe that storytelling in being able to journey with another character, whether it's like Harry Potter or whether it's Moses or I don't know, just take your pick. When you're journeying with another character, I think it reminds us, it reminds me that I'm a character in my own life, that that I have choices to make, um, that I'm an actor, that I have the power to do and to act and to be. And thanks to the grace of God, not all due to my own merits. But um, yeah, I think it reminds, there, there's so much in our world that wants to make us scared and wants to make us small and wants to make us passive and reactive um, in every sense of it. And uh that through stories, we can jumpstart our sense of adventure and our sense of autonomy and uh, just remind ourselves of who we are and what we came here to do. And yeah. And, and I, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to tie it up with this wonderful quote I read in one of my devotionals that said, life, life is like a road. Would you want to build a house on a road? Like if you were on a trip, would you build a house on a road? And I thought about it and I was like, oh, no, of course not. And I was like, yeah, life is like that. So 
try not to invest all of yourself in the road of your life. <laughs> Remember, it's a destination. And uh, we have a hope and promise that there's more to life than just this, just what we see, just the material. Absolutely. I, I, I really, I mean, you, you're literally just taking my mind and, and shoving it in like tons of different places. I was thinking about, you know, when we live in our heads, we can control what happens in our heads for the most part. You know, we can control our thinking. We can control a lot of that stuff. We cannot control our heart. It feels like maybe I'm wrong, <laughs> but that's, that's where my mind, you just took my mind. Um, would you say that that's true? We can control our heads, but we can't control our hearts. I think that's true. You know, there's that saying the heart wants what the heart wants, you know, and, and, uh, and that's a place where um, it, it feels like, dangerous territory, it might be easier for us to listen to our bodies than to listen to our hearts, which I know sounds weird, but, um, but it, we, we get, we get far afield. We, we travel a lot farther than our hearts do. Um, I think our hearts are a bit more grounded, but it's, I don't know. I've just had too many experiences of meeting God in my heart and God's just been waiting there. So it's the opposite of that, that oil painting image that I saw as a kid where it's Jesus knocking at the door of your heart. I know we had one of those in our congregation building, you know, just leaning in and knocking at this, this you know, door covered in ivy. It's the opposite. It's almost like Jesus is inside my heart knocking for the rest of me to pay attention and to get there. But the heart is tricky because the heart is vulnerable. Um, the heart is vulnerable. The heart um, is connected. The heart is not too big. The heart might say, hey, you know, I need to make big changes. You know, I, I have too many things. My, you're too attached to things. Like, like my heart kind of loves, loves peoples and creatures and loves the planet. And that's countercultural. Like that's, it's hard to set limits when your heart starts going. It just kind of keeps going and it has its own energy and it's beautiful, but it's a force of nature. Yeah. Mm. That's what I'm experiencing. And I find myself dancing with my heart. It's like a partner, right? Um, but I'm learning to follow. That's the trick. The heart wants to lead and, uh, and heads, well, my head doesn't like to follow. It would rather lead. Well, I think that's probably true for most people. It's certainly true for me, at least, too. I, my head is very powerful and very strong. And my heart says, let's try this. And my head's like, that sounds ridiculous. We're not doing that. <laughs> you know, no one's, everyone's going to look at you weird, Carla, if you, if you do that or say that. So, <laughs> And you know what I say, Carla? I say, God bless your head. I say, good job, head. Excellent work. Excellent work. You keep it all together. Look, we're here today doing this conversation because you managed it all good stuff. And so, you know, once we acknowledge that this is wonderful, look at how capable I am. And then in the next breath, do I have to carry that energy into every aspect of my life? Is this the only Carla that I know? You know, like, like, is there more? Is there more? What's there for me? Um, you know, I don't know. Those are fun questions. Those are fun questions. And also, thank you for blessing my head. I appreciate yes. that. You're welcome. <laughs> So another question that we had talked about previously, and I think it's a, a good place to ask it now, is how can we live in our thinking hearts as people of faith? Like, how can we live in our hearts and yet let our heads still have part of that as well as people of faith, as, as Christians or as Muslims or, or whatever our faith is? 
Absolutely. And I, I put this question in. Okay, first I have to tell you this little Buddhist story that I love. Okay, so this guy has a burning question, travels over huge distances, big obstacles, gets to the holy man, asks the holy man his question. The holy man slaps him across the face. He's shocked. So the pilgrim leaves. But one of the one of the disciples has pity on him and comes over and says, the master only meant that your question is like the meaning of your life. And why would he do you the disservice of taking that away from you? Like, your question is very valuable, so hang on to it. So this is, this is maybe, for me, the most, uh, the most precious question that I'm bringing into our time today. How can we live? Because it's not just be in. How can we live in our thinking hearts as people of faith? Oh, my goodness. So I don't have the answer to this all the way. But I love this idea of, of, of thinking hearts. And I get it from Marion Woodman, beautiful Jungian analyst. Once again, one of my half a dozen books that I'm chewing on at the moment. And so this idea of a, of a thinking heart. So it says that um, we don't live only in our heads. If we live only in our heads, then we're thinking minds or we're thinking heads, but that we learn um, to drop into, we learn to drop into our hearts. First to know where it is, to actually feel it in your body and say, ah, <laughs> there's my heart. And it's cool. I mean, um, it's cool. I've learned to do this. It's very cool. Um, who's good at that? Robert Sardello, Silence and Heartfulness. He's got beautiful meditations for trying to actually find that sensation of your heart in your body if it's tricky for you, like it was tricky for me. So we first, we just learn the geography and we just learn the biology like of it, the spiritual biology. Here's my mind. I'm going to drop into my heart and just feel there, just be there, just feel what it's feeling and just observe and honor, honor my heart. And you learn to drop into your body too. Like, you know, all those gut feelings, like you say, it's so easy to dismiss them. Oh, that's silly. Why should I think that about so-and-so? It's so silly. And then you find out later, oh, there was a good reason <laughs> that my body knew things my mind didn't actually know. Um, you know, so we learn to listen to the wisdom and honor the wisdom that we get from other ways of knowing, other ways of knowing beyond our heads and what we can see and hear and smell. Once we, so once we get that spiritual biology that we have within ourselves, then I think then it's simply a matter of actually using all of these ways of knowing at the same time, of slowing down a little bit, because it does take a bit of coordination. But there's something about being genuine. There's something about being fully present, about being grounded. And by grounded, I don't simply mean... Um, grounded like meditation, but actually feeling connected to the ground, like really feeling that you, your body takes up space and that you're right here right now. Um, you've got weight to your body and that weight is good. It's not just something to fight against and try to lose as much as possible, that the weight of your body is good. There's a weight um, of your feelings, a weight of your soul, and at the same time, a lightness. It's that effortless effort thing again, that there's a joy, there's a, a space in your body, that there's a um, there, there's music almost like it can actually feel quite beautiful. So I, I think what we're going for, what we, what I'm going for with my big question that I would get slapped across the face if I tried to just get it answered just willy nilly is, uh, is to, to let my thinking be infused with feeling 
to react to my reactions when I have them, to notice them, let it happen, let it go by. Oh my goodness, I'm angry. Oh my goodness, I'm sad. You know, and not to go to numbing behaviors or distracting behaviors, not to go to Facebook, not to go get a snack, you know, not just to run away from what's happening, but to learn habitually, to learn in my body, to, um, to be present and to let the good come and let the bad come too and try not to get hung up on any of it. Just kind of, kind of let it be there. And I think that God has lots of grace to pour on us. I think God has extra grace to pour on us when we live in our hearts and our heads, because we can't receive all that grace if we're just in our heads. If we're so busy hiding from parts of ourselves, we can't receive that grace, that there's a grace that comes when we're open. And it's, it's automatic. It's like breathing. If you breathe all the way out, if you exhale, the air comes rushing in. And it's like that with God's grace. But if we try to hold our breaths and not take anything in, then it's way harder for God to get at us. Oh, I, I think it's, it's all there, Carla. It's all right here. I completely agree. Uh, and, but that whole little piece of, you know, that, that tiny little word that's so, 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 so scary called vulnerability, that, that's, that's the scariest word for a lot of people, myself included. You have to be a little bit vulnerable in order for that to happen. And there's that wonderful scripture, be vulnerable to divine grace. Thank uh, God we have that scripture and I love it. But that's exactly this work. <gasps> be vulnerable. We're going to live in, in our thinking hearts, with our thinking hearts, and be vulnerable to divine grace. Mm. Oh, well, gosh, we have covered a lot of ground in the last hour or so. And Kat, <laughs> I, I feel like there's still so much more to say, but... Um, I was wondering, we should probably, unfortunately, close off the podcast because, you know, after an hour, people get a little bit, um, you know, what's the word? Fussy. <laughs> I was going to say, say antsy. It's time for a snack, and, right? Yeah. That's right. Or, or Facebook or some sort of distraction. <laughs> so uh, is there something that you wanted me to ask that I didn't ask? Um, something that you wanted to say and make sure that people heard from you before we sign off? Oh, no, 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 no. Those three stories were so close to my heart, and I'm so glad we had time to get into those. Um, I, would, I would simply just, I mean, speak from my heart to you and to everyone out there, just words of encouragement. And um, I know from my own experience that there is no straight line forward. Um, it's always two steps forward, one step back. But I've always experienced encouragement, even when I'm bad to myself, when I get very critical, slip into old patterns of perfectionism. I mean, you know, it happens. It happens. Of course it does. But um, to discover self-compassion and to allow God to love me, oh my goodness, it's, um, it's the same life, but it is a totally different life. It is, it is, um, it's richer, it's more meaningful, and, uh, and it connects me. Like anything that connects me with the people around me, the creatures around me, um, with this beautiful world that we live in is... Uh, it's just a sign of blessing. It's a sign of blessedness. And then I don't have to focus on our differences. I don't have to focus on everything that keeps us apart, but just look for that life and that flourishing and give it love and give it attention and support. So I would just encourage, I just encourage all y'all to just really feel um, that, that you have it in you to be so happy in your life and find 
meaning and connection and, and that I just wish the best for you. Well, thank you so much for those wonderful words, Kat. I really appreciate talking to you. I appreciate what you had to share with us. And I'm, I'm just so grateful. And thank you, Carla. I loved being in this conversation with you. And God bless with everything. And you too. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Project Zion Podcast. Subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast streaming service you use, and while you are there, give us a five-star rating. Project Zion Podcast is sponsored by Latter-day Seeker Ministries of Community of Christ. The views and opinions expressed in this episode are of those speaking and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of Latter-day Seeker Ministries or Community of Christ. The music has been graciously provided by Dave Hines. 